You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. What are some words that you would describe, that you would use to describe how you're feeling about the world these days? I'm actually asking the question, yeah. Apprehensive, yeah. Cautious. Frustrated, yeah, yeah. Sorry? Selfish, oh, okay. Disappointed, yeah. What, what word would you use to describe how you're feeling? Like just about life and about the future. Hopeful? <laughs> Apprehensive? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's because of... Um, I don't know if it's, if it's because of the media or what, but I find uh, that I often have a sense. Actually, no, I, I feel... I often feel like I have the weight of the entire world on my shoulders. Like, not that I'm responsible for the whole world, but I think it's just the way media works. You get the sense that you get a picture of what's going on in the whole world, and somehow you can play a role or something in dealing with this world, and it's overwhelming. I find my life so often is overwhelming because there's always something to be worried about, right? I learned uh, in, 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 in the media, there's an expression uh, if it scares, let it air. And so if something is scary, it needs, to, uh, it needs to make the news reports. And you think about it, I mean, there's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot to be concerned of. I mean, if it's not a virus, apparently a new strain, new Greek letter, uh, then it's a looming war. And if it's not a looming war, then it's a heat dome. If it's not a heat dome, there's lots of rain and flooding. I remember praying for rain in the summer. I probably should have stopped earlier. Um, you know, we read about supply chain problems. We read about chip shortages and, and not the potato kind. Um, a shortage of cars. Another run on toilet paper because people are still worried. Um, and there's always something that seems to rattle us. And I don't know about you, but, you know, probably for the last year and a half, I, uh, I've been living in this constant sense of feeling rattled. And I think about last year at this time. Last year at this time, we thought, okay, we have online church. It's just for a season. Just wait till next year when everything goes back to normal. Well, I mean, th <laughs> things have improved. I mean, we are gathered, right? Uh, they, things have improved, but man, I don't know. There still seems to be this heaviness that seems to be hanging over our lives, and it's just hard to shake it. Do you feel it? I think more than ever, we're aware that something's wrong with this world. There's something wrong in this world. 
And many people, if you ask them, you say, man, the world's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and it's never been this worse. And this is where I think, you know, history does help us because, one, if you look over human history, you realize things have always been pretty bad. And I would even argue that things may even have been worse than they are today at different points in history. But the theme is constant. There is something wrong with the world. Uh, there's always been something wrong with the world. And because the reality is, is that there's always been something wrong with you and me. Uh, I, I remember um, it's a great line that G.K. Chesterton, he was a social commentary person from the early 20th century. And uh, in England, there was a contest, I think in London, you had to write a letter to the editor um, answering the question, what is wrong with the world? And Chesterton wrote his letter to the editor, and what is wrong with the world? He just wrote two words, I am. Because <laughs> he knew that there's a line that runs through the human heart. There's a heart of darkness that dwells in every heart. And the thing is, as Christians, this should not surprise us. Because this has been taught right through the pages of Scripture and has been seen through the history of the world. I mean, listen to how Paul describes the human condition in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what he says. This is the, the state of the human condition. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Merry Christmas. <laughs> what a picture, right? What a picture. Paul's describing this is the state of our hearts. This is what life is like. And he says a number of things. He says, right from the get-go, he says, you and I are dead. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. Now, who does he mean by we? He means we. He means every human being. Every human being. And what does he mean by dead, though? That's a big question. Does he mean we're oblivious or we simply don't understand things? No, he's saying something more. When Paul says we were dead, he means dead. He's describing the boat that humanity finds itself in. That outside of Jesus, we are separated from the author of life. And if you're separated from the author of life, you are dead. And so what causes his death? Well, he says there's two things, sins are our trespasses and our sins. What are trespasses? Well, that's pretty straightforward. Trespasses when you cross a boundary that you shouldn't cross, right? You're trespassing. So we trespass, we cross boundaries that we shouldn't cross. We, we leave paths that we ought to stay on. That's what it means to trespass, to sin. Some of you have heard this before. It means to miss the mark. It means to not measure up. It means to, to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing or not do things that you know you ought to be doing. That's what it means to trespass and to sin. Now, 
How does this death come about? Well, we read right from the get-go in the Bible, the issue goes way back to Genesis 3, where you find a man and a woman in the garden in perfect communion with God, but they're tempted. And what's the temptation? The temptation, (laughs) they were tempted to believe that God is not as good as he says he is. And that's always the temptation, actually. The temptation in our life is always, did God really say? Is he as good as his word says he is? That's always the temptation. And so they decide to live independently from God. Which, and so there's a trespass, there's a sin, and a separation. And the story of the Bible and the story of human history is this being played out. We become blind to the glory of God. And the Oh, you and I, though we may look healthy, though we may look alive, inwardly we are dead. Why are we dead? Because we're separated, we're cut off from the author of life. Okay? And not only are we dead, Paul says something else. He says we're enslaved. We're enslaved in three ways. We're enslaved to the world, we're enslaved to the devil, and we're enslaved to the flesh. What does it mean to be enslaved to the way of the world? Well, what is the way of the world? The way of the world is to live your life with your head down. It's to live your life looking down. What you see is what you get. It is, it is uh, to, to live in such a way that all that you see, you take your cues from just what you see. Um, you, you, you find your identity in, in the world with your head down. You find how you understand sexuality, how you understand family and marriage, all those things with your head down. And so our values have been set in a way that, that, that says, God does not exist. Or if he does exist, God does not matter. Right? And that's usually the way we are. A lot of people believe in God. The reality is, if push comes to shove, they say, well, he doesn't really matter. And so that's the description. It's like Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. He goes, we let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell us how to live. And so when we live with our heads down, you know what happens, eh? And you, you might feel this. I feel it. When I live my life with my head down, my reality gets really small. I get kind of stuck in like this cubicle of reality, <laughs> this tiny cubicle. And you know what happens when I live my life with my head down? You know what disappears? Two things. Wonder and imagination. Because all you see is all you get. This is life. And those big questions of what is life all about, is there more to life than this? These transcendent questions get removed. And you go from day to day to day to day, and before you know it, five years has gone by. And I would say much of reality is spent with living our lives with our heads down. But then Paul says we're enslaved not just to the ways of the world, but we're also enslaved to, or enslaved by, the prince of the power of the air. 
What does he mean by that? It's interesting. The word air could be translated as a fog or a foggy atmosphere. And so when we live our lives with our heads down, we live our lives in a fog. And we get no sense of perspective. We get no sense of what's going on. And, we can't, and, and we're often confused and overwhelmed. Anybody feel confused and overwhelmed by this world? And it's hard to get perspective. Now, what Paul is saying is that our lives and our world are being shaped. And what we see is being shaped by malevolent forces. Now, I know in 2021, to talk about the devil seems a little old-fashioned. Really, David, the devil? But let me ask you these questions. And I, I, this is what questions I picked up by um, Daryl Johnson in his commentary on Ephesians. And they're great questions because he, he says this. He says, do you think that human trafficking is just the work of human beings? Or is there more going on? Do you think the stranglehold that pornography has upon our culture is just the work of human beings or is there something more going on? Do you think the chokehold that consumerism has upon us that we can't shake it, do you think that's just, just us at play or is there more going on? Paul says, we used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air that there are malevolent forces that will mess you up. And one of the strategies, I've said this before, one of the strategies of the evil one in Western culture is to pretend he doesn't exist. Different strategy in different parts of the world, but that's the strategy here. It's like, pff, who believes in the devil? The third thing, so we're enslaved. We're enslaved to the ways of the world. We're enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. Thirdly, he says we're enslaved by our own desires. Now, you have to realize that desires in and of themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. It is my desire that Canada will make the World Cup in Qatar next year. Right? That's my desire. It is my desire that Toronto Maple Leafs will win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I, I didn't say they were realistic desires. And for you Canuck fans, it's not like you can say much right now, all right? <laughs> We have our desires. So, I mean, desires in and of themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. What Paul is talking about is distorted desires, where we desire things that in the end will do a number on us. Now, how many people do you know who are captured by their desires, but as they live out these desires, is killing them? Could be an addiction, could be, could be all sorts of things. That's what Paul's getting at here. And so Paul teaches us that we are dead, we're enslaved, and then finally he says this, we are condemned. He writes, we are, by very nature, children of wrath, like the rest of humanity. And some of you at this stage might be thinking, this is not a very Christmassy message, David. <laughs> you know, you get that Christmas card that says, you know, Merry Christmas, you're an object of wrath. Um, you know... <laughs> Doesn't go over that well. These are heavy words that Paul's given us. I mean, what does he even mean that we are children of wrath? Well, first off, when we talk about God's wrath, and the Bible does talk about God's wrath, God's wrath is not some arbitrary, spiteful, impetuous, revengeful sense of action. 
It's not, and nor is it um, this sense of karma that, you know, bad things will happen to people who do bad things. That is, that's not what we're getting at. When it talks about God's wrath, it's, it's, it's God's personal, righteous, constant hostility towards sin and evil. It is, comes out of God's commitment to make all things right. His desire, his just desire to make all things right. And so the problem runs deep in every human heart. Every human heart, the sin in the garden began a trajectory of sin, and the sin affects everything. It's like taking a pebble. It's like taking a little pebble and dropping it in a still lake, and, and the ripples go out, and the ripples have continued to go out right from the beginning, right up to now, everywhere. And so believe it or not, this is a situation for all of humanity. And some of you here this morning might be like, yeah, I don't buy it. I don't believe Paul. I mean, that's, that's, that's I just don't buy it. And then that's okay. That's okay. And yet, I think when we look at this world and we see real evil in this world, there's something in our hearts that goes, ah, but this, this should not be. Where does that sense come from? So Paul says, we're in a heap of trouble. We're dead to the things of God. We're enslaved to the things that we think will deliver, but they fail. And we are objects of wrath, completely separated from the author of life. So things are looking really bleak. But then, but then we come across two of the most beautiful words in all of humanity, in all of history. But God. But God. Look at verse 4. Just prior to verse 4, it says, We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Jesus, this is amazing, amazing news. Speak to us, we pray. See, the good news of Advent is but God. The good news is that but God will not leave us in our desperate situation. In Jesus, love comes down. In Jesus, God comes down. And what a journey it is. Jesus Christ becomes one of us. He enters into the mess of this world, into the mess of history, and he enters into the mess of our lives that God, the transcendent God, comes down, all the way down, and he rescues us. And he offers us grace. Grace. You know what grace is, right? 
Justice is you get what you deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. Grace is you get what you don't deserve. And that's, that's what we receive. We receive God's amazing grace. And he makes us alive with Christ. He raises us up out of the pit, out of the snares of the world, out of the snares of the devil and the flesh and the desires, and we are made alive. So all that is wrecking our lives. All that messes us up is reversed. That's why we're calling this series a great reversal. Because we were dead, but God made us alive. We were enslaved, but God set us free. We were condemned, but God adopts you as a son and a daughter, deeply loved. We were without hope in a cold and lonely world, but God gave us his son. He sent his son to rescue us. And Jesus, he, he's, he's crucified. He's buried in a tomb, but God raised him to new life. And in Jesus, God will raise you to new life. And so the trajectory of this world was towards sin and death, but God reversed everything in Jesus and made us alive together with Jesus and so my question to you is that this Advent, do you, do you see what Paul wants you to see this morning? Do you see this? We were dead, but in Jesus we come alive. And this is really, really good news, because how many of you are feeling down in the pit these days? How many of, our, of you are so overwhelmed, so close to being completely overwhelmed by what's going on in the world today or what's going on in your life? When we live our lives with our heads down, it's easy to fall into despair. It's easy to feel dead inside. Anyone feel dead inside? So Advent is all about God coming to the rescue, entering our lives and reversing the trajectory of our lives. And I always think about this. Every Christmas, I think about a particular Christmas in my life. And I've shared this before. But I think of a Christmas Eve, in fact. And I think about the days when I was living and working overseas. I was uh, working in, in, in Shanghai. And I was, I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. Um, but it was Christmas Eve. And, and they started celebrating Christmas in China back then. They got a lot of things wrong. There's like a green Santa. They got some images wrong. But anyhow, we do went out. So I went out with some buddies and uh, it's Christmas Eve, so we just went out drinking, and we just got hammered. And here we are, drunk as skunks, coming back to the hotel room, to the hotel. And we're, in, we're all crammed into this little taxi. And out of nowhere comes this huge truck and just smashes straight into our taxi. And we... <laughs> We were, the taxi was just this little tin can of a taxi, right? And so what happened is this truck hit us so hard, it, our, our taxi flew across the street and landed over here. But all of us were okay. Get back to the hotel, and I'm in my hotel room, and I'm just thinking, what just happened? 
And I just saw how easily that could have turned differently. And I just looked at the trajectory of my life. At that point in my life, I was considering taking a job up in Beijing with a, with, with a real-life Italian mafioso fellow who owned a hotel, and he wanted an assistant. And I was thinking about being his assistant. He was offering me this job. Chances are I would have been wearing concrete shoes on the bottom of the Yellow River at this point. Um, if I had pursued, but I was looking at the trajectory of my life, and I'm like, what, what is going on with my life? And that was the beginning of a turning point in my life. And some of you, you look at your life, and, and you know what's going on. You got some habits. You know some habits. You think these aren't big deals. Well, maybe they are a big deal. But you're still in control. But in, in your moments of honesty, you're like, man, if I keep doing this, if I keep doing this, I don't like where it's heading. And some of you are here this morning, you see the trajectory. You're getting glimpses of a trajectory that your life, if you keep going the way it's going, it's not going to end well. And that's why this news is such good news, because when our lives were heading this way, and it was heading to not a good ending. I heard my mom and dad when I came back once, I came back for a week. And when I left, I didn't know they said this, but they said at the airport, we're never going to see our son again. They thought I was going to die over, overseas. Some of you, the trajectory of your life, it's not looking good. So you need to hear these words. But God, because of his great love with which he loves you, will make you alive with Jesus. And you think about it. Think about the difference that that makes. If your life is aligned to the author of life, well, then your life will flourish because you're in sync with the one who's the giver of life. And what's more is that you're brought in, rather than going through life with your head down in this cubicle of boredom, your heads are lifted up to wonder and imagination because you're brought into God's story that he's weaving for this world. And you're now part of something that's really, really big. And so this is the invitation that comes out of this passage. This is why I do think it's like a really good Christmas message. Because the but God makes all the difference. And so his invitation to you this morning is for you to embrace life, to embrace his son. Rather than carrying on that trajectory, embrace the gift of grace that he offers you. Does that make sense? All right, well, let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that love came down at Christmas. We're thankful that you came down into the mess of this world, into the mess of our lives, and you're in the business of making the dead come alive. You're in the business of setting the captives free. And you're in the business of giving new identity as daughters and sons of the Most High. You give us a new identity and a new life. And this is all free. This is all free. Not by works so that no one can boast. This is by grace we have been saved.
And so there are some here this morning who need to be reminded of this truth. They may have known it in their heads, but they've forgotten it in their hearts, impress it in their hearts. And I think there are some here this morning that are hearing this, and you're, you are drawing them to yourself. May you soften hard hearts in the same way you did in my own heart in Shanghai all those years ago, that you would soften hard hearts and people would be drawn to you and find life. And so, Lord, we pray, would you not receive us? We turn away from the, our, our, our ways of life that lead to death, and we turn our ways to you. You are the truth, the life, and the way. And our lives will only make sense when they're in sync with you. And so we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.